Music from Enigma, and what a great band that is. Catch them around southeast Nebraska. Jim Shorney's uh, to my left here, swilling the good coffee this morning with me. That hey, is good coffee. Jim, if people go outside today, what are they going to catch? What's going on with the weather? Well, it's a wintry mix, as they say. Uh, right now, a little bit of uh, kind of misty drizzle. And uh, hard surfaces are a little slippery. So if you go outside, do be careful. Yeah, if you've got some steps, for example, um, a.k.a. my daughter Melissa on that back deck, be really careful. Mm-hmm. My, my back patio was like an ice skating rink this morning. Your streets are not bad. Uh, there's been enough traffic and enough um, warmth. The temperatures continue to hover right around freezing, 32, 33 degrees. Um, forecast is that we're supposed to have the temperatures drop with the wind picking up mm-hmm. and turning to snow here a little bit after 12 noon today. And this could be a, uh, a interesting day. I've seen yeah, some models that have said, okay, we're going to get 2 to 5. We're going to get 4 to 7 inches. One model is saying we could get up to 12 inches. And there are periods of time today, especially this afternoon, that some parts of southeast Nebraska may see two to three inches an hour. Mm-hmm. <laughs> They've been using the B word, blizzard. Yeah, blizzard. Yes. So um, I, am, I am here. Hey, by the way, thanks to Randy Voppel. Randy, uh, as I've told people before, is a superior person. And uh, Randy and I, a lot of you folks also, Jim probably, operate on our, our intuition. And I'd seen Randy regarding a, uh, a rattle on my car. And uh, he's a, uh, a master body shop guy. So he had a dream, and he said, bring that car back out here. I think maybe I've got a solution. Mm-hmm. So we tried his solution, and there was a partial resolution to the rattle. And then he said, you know what? If we just take this pin that that latch and that, that rear hatch attaches to, if we move that pin a little bit, that should take up the play this thing's developed over the years. We'd move the pin, and voila, no more rattle. Do you know awesome. how nice it is to ride in the car without that rear hatch going rattle, rattle, rattle? <laughs> rattle you know I'm, I'm not obsessive but it's just it's nice so randy voppel thank you very much jim we've got a great program we're going to start out with uh, as you know charlene with the capital humane society and then we have all things rosemary ellen guiley everything um, rosemary yeah and i we like it like that yeah rosemary comes up with an update on paranormal activities and investigations we'll talk about some new books that she's got coming out uh, she's not only an author, but she's a publisher. And then we've got Rosemary back for the full main guest. And uh, this is a, a wonderful book, Jim and I pointing to. What she did is she went through Fate magazine from the first issue in 1948, and she pulled out relevant ish uh, uh, articles, rather, and they are presented in the book, UFOs and the ET Presence. And uh, it's something that is to be savored. I mean, I, I have enjoyed reading this book. I've looked forward to reading it. So last night I sat and uh, finished the whole second half 
So I've now read it cover to cover. And there's people in here that uh, I was actually able to rub shoulders with, with Brad Steiger, uh, John Keel, uh, some, some wonderful folks, Kevin Randall. He was uh, at one of our Lincoln conferences. Mm-hmm. So she's coming up here in just a, a couple of minutes, UFOs and the ET Presence. Uh, we've got some great coffee in our coffee cups. It's sure great to have you folks here, too. You know, we are just a few dollars away from the fundraising goal of 35000 So if you haven't donated yet and you'd like to help us, how about a one-time gift to help us close that gap? 402-474-5086, extension 1. Or you can do it anytime online at kzum.org. Okay, here is Charlene with the Capital Humane Society. Good morning. Charlene, (laughs) you somehow made it into work today. Yes, I drove very carefully. My goodness. What did you think when you stepped outside your house this morning? Well, when we first got up to walk our dog, it was very, very icy. So um, that was a little uh, unsettling, but it did get a little better once I got out to the main roads to drive in. So I was grateful that they were properly cleared. I think that's what we're seeing all over town right now, pretty much. Uh, uh, sidewalks and porch steps and whatnot can be uh-huh. very slippery. But yes. uh, as Scott said a few minutes ago, where people have been out on the road driving, it's uh, it's a lot better than that. Mm-hmm. Yep. So what's new with you today? Um, things are going really good so far. We've got a lot of great animals looking for homes, dogs, cats, and don't forget we have rabbits and guinea pigs. So if you're looking for a smaller companion, we've got great little guinea pigs and bunnies that would love a home too. Big furries and little furries. And That's right. Furries with long ears. And, uh, <laughs> uh, just about everything you have is fur. That's true. Well, that's that's really cool, and I think a lot of people might not be aware of some of the smaller critters that you have. Give us an example real quick. So we have Peaches. She's such a pretty little guinea pig. Uh, she's about two years old, very adorable, looking for a family that knows all about proper guinea pig care. And we do have printouts available on our website that talks about um, how to properly care for guinea pigs, rabbits, and then work through any uh, behavior issues with your dog or cat. So that's a great and free resource for people on our website. Uh, just go to the Animal Behavior Handout section and and there's just a lot of good topics to review. And sometimes it's just educational to learn more about animals. Like it'll talk about what the body language of a rabbit means. So you can know what it means when they thump or when they, you know, stretch out. So it's really interesting. Yeah, Giddies are a lot of fun. I've had those in the past. And they are just joyful little creatures. Yes. Yes, I agree. Uh, this is Shirley with the Capital Humane Society. And there is a dine-in fundraiser. What's going on there? That's a great um, event that you can go to to support our work. Um, It's going to be at Dawn and Millie's. It's Wednesday, March 13th at 4, starts at 4 to 9 at either of their locations. And if you uh, mention Capital Humane Society, Dawn and Millie's will donate 20% of your ticket to our Humane Society. Okay, we've got cats and kittens up for adoption. And here's Charlene to tell us about some cats and kittens for adoption. You can follow along if you wish at capitalhumanesociety.org. Uh, who's up first? We're going to talk about Ben. 
and he's all snuggled up in his little shoebox there. He's about a year old, really cute, short, fluffy fur, a playful guy, uh, looks very much forward to playing with any type of toy, <laughs> is looking for a wonderful home with people who will keep him nice and safe. Aww. Beautiful black kitty with golden eyes. Yeah, yeah. what a staging to that orange box that really sets off mm -hmm. Ben's black uh -huh. fur there. Yep. Wasn't, uh, Jim, wasn't there a, a point that uh, we did the Nebraska abbreviation as NEB? I think so, yeah. Yeah, and that's what Ben is backwards, yeah. NEB. Ah, right. Ben is joined by... Next up is Edward, and he's looking very curious in his photo. He's about two years old, uh, white and black. He's ready to come out and meet an incredible family. He is really very friendly, one of our volunteers' favorites. So if you're looking for a super nice cat, please ask about Edward. Yeah, and whatever the photographer's got for a toy there, Edward is really focused on it. <laughs> yep, <laughs> very interested for sure. Yep, we've got Ben, Edward, and their companion is... Next up is Velvet, and Velvet is all white with a little pink nose. She's about a year old, really beautiful, arrived as a lost cat, and wants very much to put those stray days behind her and be a treasured companion. Wow, look at that. We have black, and then we have white. That's, uh -huh. that's so cool. I, I used to have a white kitty as well as, as having had a couple of black kitties, and the white kitty was just adorable. Oh yeah, I bet. She was the the cutest thing, and all lovey dovey, and and uh, she would put her paw up on your chest and look up at you with these eyes that just <laughs> said, "Pet me." <laughs> it's so precious when they do so that. So precious, yeah. <laughs> ben, Edward, and Velvet—three uh, great cats. You can meet them in person if you're very careful. Um, any right. plans today on our changing? Uh, well, we are going to watch the weather. We want to play it safe. Um, we are scheduled to be open Saturday and Sunday from 11 to 530. But, of course, if the weather uh, gets really bad, we may need to close early. Mm -hmm. So maybe call before you, you venture out. That's an excellent piece of advice. What's that phone number out there? Uh, please give us a call at 402-441-4488, extension 1. Okay, Charlene, thank you so much for all the great work that you do uh, with dogs and cats. We've got dogs up next, and I've got the Dogs for Adoption page open at capitalhumanesociety.org. And it looks like we've got three choices. That's right. <laughs> we'll go in alphabetical order. So we've got beautiful baby girl looking for someone who is dog savvy and can bring out the best in her. Uh, she is a pretty dog, an intelligent dog waiting for the right family. And then next up is General, and he's a hound, <laughs> so he can be vocal. You'll want to uh, be sure that you are aware of that. He's about three years old, a coon hound, um, very handsome, follows his nose, so he needs somebody who's going to keep him nice and safe, um, provide training and uh, proper environment for him so he, again, stays safe and happy. Two great dogs, Baby Girl and General, and then their buddy is... Tico, <laughs> and Tico is a 101-pound St. Bernard, and he is available off-site. 
Um, so sometimes we do have um, animals at other locations. So he is at Camp Bow Wow, and you would call them to make an appointment to meet him if you're looking for a big, beautiful, playful dog. Tico is a big dog. <laughs> yes, he is. <laughs> um, baby girl, we'd uh, love to hear about somebody adopting baby girl. She's been out there quite a while waiting for that right person. Hopefully that is you. For and sure. here's, here's Charlene with hours open today and tomorrow. The caveat again is that due to weather, uh, if it worsens, you may want to give a call first before you stop out. So what's the hours today and tomorrow? So we should be open from 11 to 530 unless due to weather we need to close early. And our phone number is 402-441-4488 extension 1 if you want to call first. Um, we'd love to see you, and we hope that somebody comes out and checks out these beautiful animals today. Okay, Charlene, thank you for all that you do. You take thank care. Thank you. You too. Charlene and friends at the Capital Humane Society make them the first place you go when you want to adopt a dog or cat. And with us now is my friend Rosemary Ellen Guiley. And uh, let's see if I get orientated, and I point that way. She's from that way. She's from back east. Yeah, that way would be east. And, Rosemary, we've got uh, the start of a, uh, the B word, a blizzard today. It's an ice storm right now. What's going on where you live? Well, we had a little bit of snow this week. Joe and I were out in California for about five weeks, and we, we just got back on Sunday. We missed a whole lot of the really bad weather, but it was just in time for another snowstorm here. Uh, fortunately, it didn't deposit a whole lot, but it's just cold and very wintry. After five weeks out in California, boy, you, you are probably ready you for know, some... <laughs> it, was, it was cooler and rainier than usual. We've been out there in January and February before to escape the snow here, and uh, I'll take the rain any day, uh, don't get me wrong, but it was, um, you know, more wintry there, too. It's just been weird weather everywhere this year. Mm -hmm. um, you have got um, a new book coming out that is, I think it slips in time and space. That's right. It came out in January. Congratulations. Um, I've got to get you, you back on the program for, for that book as well. This is, uh, and you probably know this from all the accolades you received and, and the interesting comments. This is really, really uh, a, a very interesting topic. It's, uh, it certainly is, and uh, the book has been doing uh, quite well. It just started uh, selling right away because this is a topic that people are keenly interested in, and it discusses uh, uh, slips in time, which are unexpected time displacements that people experience, and uh, there's also a discussion of time travel. Can we intentionally uh, move around in time? I cover teleportation, and then uh, some famous cases and places. We can't talk about time warps without looking at the Bermuda Triangle and its Asian component, or counterpart, I should say, the Devil Sea off the coast of Japan. Uh, and then there is, of course, the famous and very controversial Philadelphia Experiment. Mm-hmm. Uh, Rosemary's publishing website is <clears throat> Visionary Living. 
www.publishing.com. And I imagine there's probably uh, information up there about the new title. Yes, there is. And there's right, a... You will be getting your copy shortly. Oh, well, thank you so much, Rosemary. And, and by the way, folks, I want to give Rosemary a, a, another accolade. She uh, gave us multiple prepaid phone cards because she heard our plea that we were getting down to almost being empty. And we use these phone cards to call guests all over the world each week. So Rosemary didn't give us just one or two. She gave us a handful of these prepaid cards. And so because of Rosemary's generosity, there are thousands of you people that can hear the guests now. So Rosemary, again, thank you so much. Well, you're welcome, Scott. I've enjoyed being on this show and working with you for so many years. And it is important to keep that information out there. What's, what's crossed your desk in the last 30 days that's piqued your interest, either through your travels or correspondence? What, uh, what's going on? What's interesting? One of the things that's at the top of my attention right now is the growing fraud in paranormal uh, photography and video. And this extends into UFOs as well. Uh, I mean, you know, we've always had hoaxed photos. Back in the day of film cameras, it was a little harder to pull off than today with, with digital. Uh, and the editing software has become so sophisticated and available to so many people that hoaxing is easier than ever. And um, I, uh, I'm now on a show called Paranormal Caught on Camera, which is on the Travel Channel. little plug here, Travel Channel, Tuesday night, 10 p.m. Eastern, cool. 9 p.m. Central. And it looks at uh, videos. Uh, and there, there's a cadre of experts, and I'm one of them. Uh, we review these video clips and then comment on, uh, is it genuine? Is it, do we think it's hoaxed? Um, do these sorts of things happen in real life and other background kinds of things? And so for several months now, I've been looking at, oh, I would say well over 100 clips now, um, for the various episodes of this show. And it's astonishing to me um, that I think that m many of these clips, they are questionable in nature. And it's caused me to do more research on the Internet in terms of what's out there, what is being shown to the public. Um, and it's, it's rather scary um, because, uh, you know, paranormal reality shows, they blur the lines quite a bit for the sake of entertainment but a lot of these videos are put up on websites like um, well some of them are on YouTube some of them are on uh, other websites that are income producing for people uh, with very little background uh, no information of context just videos up there um, you know paranormal activity in my kitchen or whatever um, bouncing light in front of the camera that's supposed to be a UFO. Mm -hmm. um, some images that seem clearly hoaxed in terms of craft and ghosts and mysterious creatures. And then others that, well, who knows? You know, it's a little hard to call on, on many of them. But I, I guess my point here is uh, that hoaxing is on the rise. And 
for the general audience out there that might be conditioned to uh, Hollywood and paranormal entertainment, uh, when they see some of these hoaxed photographs and, and videos online, might be inclined to accept them as the real thing, that, that these are what paranormal investigators uh, experience all the time, and it's simply not the case. So where this trend is going to wind up, I, I don't know, uh, but it is alarming. This is, Jim, I want to draw you in here, too, mm -hmm. because you've got a, a photographic background. This is a, an area that I've thought a lot about, Rosebury and Jim. If a person presents a photograph, I think along with that, there is an obligation to provide information. Absolutely. And if, if I'm going to be uh, a flake and try to, to give Rosemary Ellen Guiley a fake photograph or a fake video, what I will probably do is get that to her some way and not offer anything at all. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think the burden, Rosemary and Jim, is really on the person who submits that picture or sure. video. It is. You know, Rosemary, I'm the same. Probably, I don't get the, the volume of email that you do, but I would guess probably once a week at least, I get somebody that sends me a, an image saying, what do you think of this? Well, what I think of this is that there's not enough information. Not enough information. It's often an edited and recompressed photo, and uh, that the person sending it doesn't have any knowledge of photography. So it's like, what do you do with it? Yeah, Rosemary, shouldn't there be some standards that, that people adhere to? Well, who sets those standards? You know, we, we have no governing body, no... Um professional, organizational uh, authority to set any standards. So it's really a free-for-all out there. One of the most common mistakes that hoaxers make in terms of paranormal is um, uh, move, movement of objects that uh, is uh, the, where the movement is too violent. And uh, sometimes you can detect the strings that they use to pull things <laughs> off counters and shelves and things like that. Uh -huh. But uh, it is true that there are unexplained movements of objects. Um, in most cases, the objects are never moved right in front of you or in front of a camera. They're discovered after the fact. Um, could cameras capture this sort of thing? Well, technically, yes. But it doesn't happen very often, and the movements usually are very subtle. But uh, in, in the cases of these videos, we have things just literally flying, a la Hollywood. And uh, it's a dead giveaway that uh, something has, has been engineered. Uh, I would find it very unlikely that a security camera, for example, would capture an object hurling through space uh, from one end of a room to another. Or... Uh, doors of cabinets being yanked open. Uh, and uh, how these things happen, I don't know, because uh, I've been mystified by whatever physics are involved myself, the movement of mass by some unseen mm -hmm. force. Uh, but um, people seem to think that it has to be very 
over-the-top dramatic in order to be real, and it's, it's exactly the opposite. And, Jim and Rosemary, as long as I'm on my soapbox here, Go ahead. one of my other pet peeves, Rosemary, speaking about videos, is the use of dramatic music as a soundtrack to enhance the experience. Oh, yeah. It's like... And it's so annoying. It is. It is. Dun, 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 dun. Come on. We don't need that. Just well, show me the... They have to have something there to cover up the guy in the background saying, okay, pull that string now. <laughs> or cameras. Uh, another favorite of mine is the camera on a paranormal investigation that just accidentally happens to be pointing in the right direction uh, for something really bizarre to happen. Uh, another giveaway is um, an eruption of prolonged female screaming. <laughs> uh, I, it just, you know, if you're scared, yeah. you're not going to scream in a prolonged... People do scream, well, you sure. know. Uh, people who are startled, if they're scared, they will scream. Well, one of my triggers is the phrase... It doesn't sound like somebody being tortured. Uh, uh, and that, that's another giveaway. One of my triggers is the phrase, dude, run. Right, straight out of Ghost Hunters. Yeah. So, uh, folks, if you if you have uh, paranormal images, um, video, etc., supply the information that is going to be asked of you. Mm-hmm. You know, the date, the location, the people present, what was going on just before and afterwards. Um how it impacted the person who uh, uh, captured it or perceived it. Um, is there anything else going on in their lives that would be of interest that would help inform us about this image or these videos? And you need to provide the original, unedited images or videos. Yeah, what, what were you using to take the, uh, the image of the mm-hmm. video? Uh, what type of device? And why were you doing it in the first place? You know, was this just like, yeah. I think I'm going to point my camera and just shoot video at the corner of the room. The more information, the better, in other yeah. words. Yeah, there's no such thing as too much information in this case. Yeah. Rose- and, uh, so people need to understand that paranormal activity doesn't happen without a reason. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if a house, for example, has not had a history of activity it's not just going to suddenly bubble over with activity because somebody has a camera in a room. Right. Uh, and that's, uh, that's another clue, a very, or I should say a big red flag, not a clue, but a big red flag. Um, just another plug for the show, Paranormal Caught on Camera is soliciting videos for future episodes. We've already got season one in the can, mm. um, but they are uh, soliciting um, Candidates, And so if people have videos, uh, not stills, but videos, uh, you can go on the Travel Channel site online and uh, click on Paranormal Con on Camera, and, and uh, you can find out how to submit. Uh, how fun. How interesting. And when does the show again air? It airs on Tuesday nights at 10 p.m. Eastern, 9 p.m. Central. We just had episode two this week. Okay. Rosemary, we're going to put you on hold and do the bottom-of-the-hour business, and then we'll come back, 
And it's my pleasure then to talk about this brand new book of yours, UFOs and the ET Presence. And I can't wait. Me too. This is Rosemary Ellen Guiley. Her websites are visionaryliving.com and as the publishing end of things, visionarylivingpublishing.com. I'm Scott Colborn with Jim Shorney. And uh, if you're out there in Lincoln and southeast Nebraska, uh, exercise care, especially if you walk out your front door or back door and there's any sort of steps, mm-hmm. it's going to be covered in ice. Um, so live to, to walk and slide another day. Be very, very careful today. Uh, we'll be right back with Rosemary Longuiley and this wonderful brand new book called UFOs and the E.T. Presence. I'm Scott Colborn with Jim Shorney and Rosemary Ellen Guiley. We are exploring unexplained phenomena. Voice of the Blues in Lincoln, Nebraska, KZUM Lincoln and KZUM HD. The full moon lights the silver rails winding around dark mountains and over steep gorges of jagged rock in one freezing cold rushing black mountain river. I wish there was enough time to describe all of the funny twists and turns that led up to now, but there isn't enough time because there's a ticking clock and the two passengers we care most about don't know anything about it. To see what happens next, visit read.gov to read The Exquisite Corpse, a riveting adventure pieced together by John Sheska, Shannon Hale, Daniel Handler, and other popular authors. Explore new worlds. Read. Brought to you by the Library of Congress and the Ad Council. Far from the din of commercial culture and just this side of the abstract is a place I call Mesoterra. I'm Vic Valverde, your tour guide for an eclectic musical excursion on a program called Mesoterra. Saturdays, 12 noon until 1.30, right here on KZUM. This program is made possible in part by a grant from the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. Support for KZUM comes from the Stewards of Wilderness Park, hosting the 8th annual Run for the Bridges to benefit bridge repair in Wilderness Park, launching from First and Pioneers at 9 a.m. on Saturday, March 9th. More details and registration by March 1st at GetMeRegistered.com. Are you looking for cutting-edge answers to your health questions? Do you have health questions that are not being addressed by your health provider? Then tune in to Health Talk, your weekly one-hour show on all of the relevant health issues of our day. This is Dr. Paul Fernhaber, and I'm on the show every Saturday morning from 9 to 10. I will not only give you the latest in scientific information on current health topics, but I'll give you an opportunity to call into the show and have your concerns addressed. We'll see you this Saturday morning.
Scott Colborn with Jim Shorty and Rosemary Ellen Guiley. And, uh, Jim, I've got the uh, streaming map up here. Yeah, we've got some listeners. And uh, there is La Habra, California. Good morning to you. Uh, looks like maybe some people around here. Spring Hill, Kansas. Uh-huh, Kansas, which is getting a lot of rain right now. Hastings, Nebraska. Now let's go up here. Who's yeah, this? this? Uh, Waterloo, Ontario. A Canadian. And Montreal. Ah, welcome. Our friends to the north. And who's that? Uh, Shelton, Connecticut. Uh, Prince Frederick, Maryland. Ashburn, Virginia. And who's that? Clear over there. It just says Germany. Germany. That looks about right. Welcome, everybody. Thanks for listening. Got a bunch of cool folks listening this morning. So there was a magazine that got started in 1948. And part of the reason for the founding of the magazine was the incredible, yet very believable reports that were starting to come out of people seeing flying saucers. And several individuals got together and said, there ought to be a way that we can get this information out to people. There's obviously interest. And Fate Magazine was started. Rosemary, I've I've kind of given a thumbnail sketch, but please, please add to that because you know so much more than I about the, the origins here. Well, that's a pretty good overview, Scott. Um, I've been associated with Fate Magazine since the early 1990s, and I've had uh, various jobs at Fate. I'm now executive editor. Uh, And uh, the founders, uh, Ray Palmer and Curtis Fuller, were steeped in supernatural uh, interests and lore. Uh, They were both um, intensely interested in the unknown. And when the uh, Kenneth Arnold sightings happened, as you mentioned, uh, in 1947, it really grabbed their attention. It was the dawn of the UFO era. And uh, certainly we've had reports of of mystery objects in the skies throughout human history. But it was really after World War II that the whole field of ufology was born. And a lot of that can... I believe myself can be credited to uh, Fuller and Palmer with the founding of Fate magazine because they focused attention on this. The very first issue featured Kenneth Arnold um, on the cover, uh, not Arnold himself, but a depiction of his encounter with these uh, mysterious flying discs. Uh, And um, away Fate went. it focused heavily on UFOs over the years, and it still does. Um, but because uh, Fuller and Palmer were diversified in their own interests, they also understood that uh, people were hungry for information about the unseen and the unknown, the mysteries, um, on all different kinds of topics. And so Fate Magazine was always varied in its content. One thing that people don't realize is that every single issue had something in it about survival after death. 
and uh, those could be personal testimonies or articles by researchers. But fate also covered uh, ghosts and hauntings. Uh, it was one of the first um, magazines to focus attention on uh, the Bigfoot field that emerged. Um, we didn't really hear too much about Bigfoot until the 1980s, but uh, in the 1950s and 60s, uh, Fate was publishing articles on Bigfoot, which is another anthology coming out this spring, um, bringing, uh, bringing the existence of these creatures to the attention of a widespread audience. So Fate has followed this um, publishing plan for uh, its entire history, and it no longer comes out monthly. Um, it, it's now... Um, I would say it's a bit on an irregular schedule. Um, it is owned and operated by Phil, Phyllis Galdi, and she gets out several issues a year. Um, it comes out digitally as well as in print. But one of the things that I love so much about Fate is the fact that it has published over the course of 736 issues now wow. thousands of articles on all of these topics written by so many famous people and researchers mm -hmm. and about so many people, famous people and researchers in all of these fields, it's a treasure chest of uh, information that is still valid today. Um, these articles have historical value. They also contain information that's relevant today. And uh, so now for the past year and a half, I have been issuing uh, these anthologies that are themed according to topics where I literally comb through fate archives uh, to select candidates for inclusion. And uh, since so many fate issues were heavy on ufology, there are, there are going to be a number of UFO uh, editions. Uh, UFOs and the ET Presence is the first, which came out in the fall, and I focused very heavily on the early years of ufology as kind of a foundation uh, for um, for the rest to follow. Absolutely love it. Uh, folks, here's initially my two cents worth, and as I told you in the in the pre-show, uh, this is a book that I've looked forward to reading, to savor, to enjoy. Um, I firmly believe that unless you understand the history of something, you're going to be forever spinning your wheels and covering the same ground that was covered by other great folks many years ago. Quite literally, if you don't know history, you're going to keep reinventing the wheel and thinking that it's yours, and then you do it again the next day. So from the very first issue of 1948, Rosemary's pulled together and compiled articles. Um, when we look at these earlier reports, it gives us a sense of people, their interaction with the phenomena, the aftermath, the general attitudes of society, uh, what was going on in terms of the the body politic, uh, government, military, uh, etc., during these time periods? How were people 
specifically and generally reacting to the news that there were flying saucers being seen. Um, and Rosemary, well, exactly. I what was our mindset? What were we thinking? And how were we reacting to this? And what were some of the famous cases? Yes. A lot of the new people now in the field uh, that get in, uh, embroiled in the criticism, the personal attack, um, they have totally forgotten and ignored this rich history. Uh, we don't have a, a Cold War, per se, looming over us like Jim and I grew up with. Uh, we are the products of a generation that we knew in the back of our minds there were people on both sides of the ocean that had fingers really close to buttons that would launch nuclear missiles and weapons. And that's part of this mindset. What were people doing? What were they thinking? And how, were, how does this apply to them experiencing this phenomenon? Um, so she's done a great job. Uh, some of the people in here that have been included with articles is none other than John Keel. And I had the chance to meet John personally when we brought him back to Lincoln for a conference. Uh, it was one of the, uh, the high points of my career certainly as the radio show host uh, and uh, uh, as a researcher. Uh, can I tell you just an interesting anecdote about John Keel Rosemary? Oh, I'd love to hear it because I knew John <laughs> myself as well. And you probably had a lot uh, more prolonged and, and deeper interaction. But, you know, when I talked to John about coming back here, he said that, that he would do it, but he warned us that he was not a morning person. So do not schedule anything in the morning or early afternoon. He is a night owl. Okay, well, we can, we can work with that. And then he said, you know, my dietary needs, I need to eat food periodically. And it may be that I need to eat food when the hotel restaurant is closed. Okay, John. So I'd like to have a cooler in my room with a selection of um, luncheon meats, cheeses, bread, um, condiments, beverages, so that I can snack anytime I want to. So we did. We put an ice chest in his room, and it was all, you know, we made sure it was stocked during the weekend. So whenever John was hungry, he could dig in. And uh, it was a marvelous, he had, R Rosemary, when you hung out with him, remember that twinkle in his eye? He was kind of oh, a mis yeah. he was like a mischievous guy. He uh he would have been a guy that that I wished I could have hung out with more because there was almost a uh, a little boy in there wanting to come out and maybe play a practical joke on somebody. Um, he was very very smart. Um, I credit John with being a modern father of Fordian unexplained phenomena research. He insisted that people ask questions, uh, ask questions of the questions. Uh, he was so fun. And so, folks, if I would have read that John Keel would have been in here, I would have got the book just for that. 
but he's not the only person. Well, there will be more John Keel to come, uh, and in uh, these uh, anthologies, and I have two pieces in this one: uh, one on Mothman, and the other on mm-hmm. the Men in Black. Mm-hmm. Um, he he covered all topics, uh, but he did like to focus on UFOs. Um, he was way ahead of his time in ufology. Uh, with the idea that um, we might not be dealing with physical craft. And he was harshly criticized for his views. Uh, The early nuts and bolts people jumped on him and called him a crackpot and uh, that he had, uh, you know, deranged ideas. (laughs) And, you know, now things have, have come around to his point of view. Uh, so he did endure a lot mm-hmm. uh, from his critics. They they didn't really give him the credit that he deserved for some of his groundbreaking work. Uh, James Mosley, Gray Barker, Jacques Vallée, Ingo Swan, uh, Dr. Jalen Hynek, the early contactee George Adamski, Kevin Randall, our neighbor from Iowa, Betty and Barney Hill, and my friend, uh, the late and great Brad Steiger, and others. What a great uh, compilation that you've done here, Rosemary. Of all these people, and I know that it's, it's hard to, to, to have you as the editor say, this is my favorite, but do you have a couple that we can talk about that really, for maybe a variety of reasons, really grabbed you? Um. In well, just a, a comment about how I screen these. Yeah. Uh, and so, for the very first anthology, which I wanted to have kind of historical underpinning, but have it be a bit of an overview. I didn't want it to be all history, which is why I have encounters, phenomena, abductions, um, perspectives of science and religion, uh, personalities, things like that. I was going for major cases that stood out, that were landmarks, or topics that were important in shaping our opinions today about UFOs, and also for personalities. I wanted famous names in here. Of course, famous names are in all the anthologies, but I really wanted this to be uh, solid with the famous names. And so I like things for different reasons. Uh, Kenneth Arnold wrote his own article Mm -hmm. for the very first issue of Fate, and what I liked about that was his candor. Here was a pilot who didn't know anything about UFOs, didn't have any interest in them, um, and he's the one who really uh, launched the modern UFO era. And uh, his account is so honest and so uh, straightforward and so well documented as only a pilot would do that um, I was taken by that. You know, there's uh, there's no, uh, you know, he was not trying to pull one over on people. Um, I like some of the crazy cases, like the fellow who was served up pancakes. Oh, yes. um, by the aliens who landed in his yard, uh, yard, Joe Simonton. Um, the Brazilian cases involving um, very sexual aliens, the uh, uh, Antonio Villa Boas case, uh, 
from the 1950s, which seemed to be the beginning of a whole bunch of Brazilian cases of sex-crazed aliens landing on that country. So um, so many teenagers. If we would have heard about those cases, I would have gone out <laughs> nightly and just said prayers, saying, please, please come to, come to Lincoln, Nebraska. <laughs> I liked exactly. I liked Alan Spraggett's um, reporting of the Betty and Barney Hill case mm. and how psychiatrists tried to disparage them and write this whole thing off as some weird anxiety sexual thing. Um, and, you know, tying it to the fact that they were an interracial couple and that this created some tension between them and. Um, that's why they made up these things. Uh, it was very insightful in terms of how, uh, you know, authorities were treating early abductees. Now, mm-hmm. Betty and Barney Hill were by no means the first case. Uh, the Tahunga in, in the West, the Tahunga Canyon uh, cases from the 1950s in the L.A. area were probably the first documented ones. But the Betty and Barney Hill case was the first to really gain international attention. And so this is a a very good account which demonstrates how the establishment tried to squelch all this. Mm -hmm. Um, And um, Ingo Swan, uh, I don't think Ingo Swan ever wrote another thing for fate uh, except this one article on remote viewing and how he developed uh, protocols for remote viewing and some of his experiences for the American Society for Psychical Research and uh, his thoughts on extraterrestrials and, and UFOs. And he believed that people who experience them, experience those things, are having real experiences. Um, I love Paola Harris's article on the Vatican and ETs. Uh, I, I have to give the Vatican credit for... Uh, trying to be on board with with the the whole alien interest thing, but they've got a long way to go. And I think she points that out very well in her article about, you know, um, how do we factor in uh, other life forms with um, concepts of Catholicism, for example, like original sin? And one of the official answers is, well, Jesus died for the extraterrestrials, too. So uh, they kind of dodge the question on whether or not uh, aliens have original sin, but Jesus died for them as well. Yeah, Rosemary, uh, but, I... But at least they, they give a nod to the idea that all creatures uh, in existence um, are, uh, you know, answerable to God. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that we may not be the only ones in existence. So, you know, I have to give them credit for that. Rosemary and Jim, uh, don't you, when you... When you talk to people about the UFO subject, um, people are intelligent, fairly well-read, that almost to a man or a woman, they say things like, when I go outside and look at the night sky at all those points of light and realize that there is more and more planets behind that, more and more galaxies, the billions of potential planets, that I think it would be really dumb to think that we're the only intelligent life out there. I just had this conversation two days ago with a co-worker and yeah, and yeah exactly. Yeah. Rosemary, let me take the top of the hour break and let's come back and talk more about your book. Um, uh, people can find this at visionarylivingpublishing.com 
And the book is called UFOs and the E.T. Presence. It's compiled and edited by Rosemary Ellen Guiley. And it's just a rich, rich compilation of articles from Fate Magazine. Uh, I enjoyed it so much. I read it uh, this week cover to cover, Rosemary. And uh, so let's talk more. We'll take the top of the hour break. Our special guest is Rosemary Ellen Guiley, Jim Shorney, and Scott Colborne. And you guys and gals, we are Exploring Unexplained Phenomena. Voice of the Blues in Lincoln, Nebraska, KZUM Lincoln and KZUM HD. Support for KZUM comes from family-owned and operated Butheris Mason and Love Funeral Home at 40th and A Streets in Lincoln, offering services that allow families to plan ahead according to personal wishes, chapel facilities to accommodate all faiths, and grief support materials for the family following a service. More information is available at 402-488-0934 and online at bmlfh.com. And by... The Haymarket Farmer's Market, thanking its patrons and vendors for this past season. Vendor inquiries for the 2019 season at 402-435-7496 and lincolnhaymarket.org. We are incredibly grateful to every listener who contributed during our recent February fun drive. Now we're asking those of you who missed out or never got around to it to do your part. Because today you will make all the difference in closing the gap on our goal of raising the necessary $35,000 we need by the end of the month. Please contribute now at kzum.org or by calling 402-474-5086, extension 1. My name is Manny Morales. I'm 45 and I coach youth football. It's still hard to believe because the high school me was a work in progress. But big brothers, big sisters give me a real role model. And the young me needed a role model bad. My bigger brother's name is Ray. And Ray is the reason that this seven-year-old grows up to be a role model himself. Whether you donate money or time, you're helping big brothers, big sisters help a child. Start something today at bigbrothersbigsisters.org. Brought to you by Big Brothers Big Sisters and the Ad Council. The full moon lights the silver rails winding around dark mountains and over steep gorges of jagged rock in one freezing cold rushing black mountain river. I wish there was enough time to describe all of the funny twists and turns that led up to now, but there isn't enough time because there's a ticking clock and the two passengers we care most about don't know anything about it. To see what happens next, visit read.gov to read The Exquisite Corpse, a riveting adventure pieced together by John Sheska, Shannon Hale, Daniel Handler, and other popular authors. Explore new worlds. Read. Brought to you by the Library of Congress and the Ad Council. Scott Colborne with Exploring Unexplained Phenomena. Stay tuned at 12 noon for Mesoterra with Vic. Our special guest is Rosemary Ellen Guiley, and the book released last fall that we're talking about today, UFOs and the ET Presence, compiled and edited by Rosemary. Rosemary, tell us about um, things that fall 
from UFOs. This was one of Ray Palmer's articles, and he actually uh, published it under a pseudonym. Palmer used a number of pseudonyms, and um, I opted to publish it under his real name because nobody would recognize his pseudonyms today. But this involves a phenomenon that we don't really hear a whole lot about today, um, but we did years ago in the early uh, part of ufology. And um, this is stuff commonly known as angel hair. Mm -hmm. And people would report that after seeing mysterious lights or even craft in the sky, they would find stuff on the ground or they would see stuff falling through the air. And it, um, it looked like some of it was kind of white and glittery. It looked like strands, like kind of spider webby sort of things or what people would call, uh, you know, as angel hair. That's what it was commonly known as. And if it hit the ground, if it was found on the ground, um, it had the mysterious characteristic of uh, disintegrating as soon as it was touched. Uh, sometimes it was described as looking foamy-like, uh, almost like sea foam that, that appears on the beach. And nobody knew what this was and why it was associated with, uh, with UFOs. Well, of course, um, there was a search for natural explanations. Um, people considered or even argued that these things had to be masses of milkweed flying around or, or something from, from the realm of nature. But none of those ever really sufficed. And... Um, no one was ever able to capture a sample of this stuff because it would disintegrate. Mm -hmm. So uh, very mysterious. So you know, Palmer documents uh, some of some of the more notable cases of this, um, and uh, that people and and what they described as uh, people's reactions. You know, like when they touched it before it disintegrated. Um, it was usually cool to the touch. Some people described it as numbing. Um, it didn't seem to have um, um, noticeable odor to some people, and other people said it had a smell like burned matches. Um, so he speculates, like, is this some sort of debris? Like, is this like exhaust debris or something that aliens eject, eject from the, the ships themselves? What, what is it, this mysterious substance? And uh, then he goes on to try and relate it to other things, mystery falls of things from the sky, you know, the mystery uh, rains of frogs and toads and things like that that are part of the uh, Fortean lore, which uh, I don't think there's really a connection there because the angel hair is so clearly related to experiences of, U of UFOs and mystery lights. Uh, and... So he's got a number of, of cases in here uh, where he gives examples of um, these finds of angel hair. Now, one of the mysteries to me is, why don't we hear more about angel hair today? Uh, has there been some change in alien technology or some change in our consciousness, the way we perceive things, that um, this isn't as common as it used to be? It still crops up every now and then but not nearly as frequently. I, that, you took the words right out of my mouth, Rosemary. Uh, why aren't we hearing more reports that have this angel here mentioned? Um, 
And there were, un- folks, there were a number of reports from the 1950s, uh, and we're not talking just about a shrubbery outside that was bedecked in this gossamer, spidery web. We're talking about an entire landscape sometime, a small town that much of the land was covered with this stuff. People could see it coming down, uh, almost floating down. Uh, and so Rosemary's got a great question. Why aren't we experiencing that? Um, was no, we don't have an answer for that. Uh, and our, that's why I, I said, you know, is there some change in technology? Um, we might not even be looking at physical craft anyway. Uh, my feeling is that a lot of these uh, things that we're calling UFOs are really interdimensional in nature, uh, maybe ether- uh, etheric or plasma or, or something else, but not a physical craft. Um, or, or was this part of some way of getting our attention? Um, and here we get back to the Keelian, the John Keelian idea that there is some mastermind intelligence behind all of all of these things including the manifestations of ufos and that this intelligence has a trickster nature to us to it and it pulls us in different directions so if that's the case then uh, were these angel hair situations ways of this intelligence calling our attention to something going on in our skies that we were unable to explain. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. What was what was the uh, the purpose, if you will? Uh, how did people um, perceive and respond to it? And if if that was uh, part of the modus operandi back then, what has replaced? the angel angel here with the same phenomena of if it's trying to communicate something to tell us something to shape us point us to direct us what is taking the place of the angel here now well we're certainly having more contact experiences than were reported in the past and here again it's hard to measure accurately because we only know what what is uh, what becomes reported. Mm-hmm. And there may have been a lot of contactee activity in the past that went unreported. But um, the nature of contactee experiences has shifted over the years. Uh, we've had the attention on abductions. Uh, now we are having a shift to more benevolent kinds of contact, um, which is different than the early contactee days, um, you know, the days of George Adamski and, um, you know, the Space Brother people. Uh, these are individuals who are claiming even to be hybrids and um, that what they're involved in is uh, something wrapped up in human consciousness and universal consciousness. So... The kaleidoscope of ufology has definitely shifted over the decades, and um, we're seeing a continual evolution away from nuts and bolts. There are still nuts and bolts people out there, and there always will be. And I'm not saying that we should stop looking for physical craft. 
Um, and I'm not saying there's no such thing as physical craft. There, uh, there may be, but it, uh, ufology may not just revolve around nuts and bolts. Mm-hmm. And uh, so the field does go through an evolution, and uh, angel hair may have served its purpose. Uh, this is Rosemary Ellen Guiley, and the book we're talking about, she's compiled from Fate magazine issues that go clear back to 1948. And there's a lot of the early history about UFOs and the ET presence that were covered with articles uh, that Fate magazine printed. Um, if we could stay with John Keel, um, let's talk about, and here we go, this is one of John's uh, Keelian terms, the sinister men in black. So we have the the Will Smith movies that show kind of the tongue-in-cheek, a uh, bunch of guys trying to contain, you know, a whole bunch of different aliens that are living in disguise here on, on Earth, and they're kind of the 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 uh, immigration naturalization police department that keeps track of these folks. Uh, but Keel wrote about um, some of the early reports that were much more sinister. Um, Rosemary, tell us a little bit about some of these early reports. The Men in Black. Well, this is um, a, a phenomenon that emerged in the early years of ufology. Uh, Gray Barker was one of the first to publicize it, and uh, Barker Thanks. and Keel knew each other quite well. That um, mysterious individuals who allegedly represented the government uh, would make an appearance to people who had witnessed events or who seemed to know something about UFOs and intimidate them and even threaten them not to talk about it, not to reveal what they they uh, knew. And these individuals had very strange appearances. They dressed in black. They were usually men dressed in black. Uh, they drove black cars. They acted and spoke in mechanical and robotic ways. Uh, there were things that were very odd about their appearances, as though somebody had tried to put together paper dolls and didn't do it right. <laughs> and um, many of them were described as, as having kind of an Asian uh, look to them. Some were described as olive-complected, and some were described as being extremely pale. Uh, and Keel said he had experiences with the men in black himself, uh, where um, he was followed by uh, some in a car, and then he tried to follow them, and they disappeared on him. Mm-hmm. Um, but the most famous case of all was one that Barker wrote about, and it was the Alfred Bender case from the early 1950s. Bender ran uh, a UFO bureau of sorts. Uh, he lived in the basement of his parents' home, and by all accounts was a strange man. Um, but he published a newsletter and announced in his newsletter that he had... Um, discovered the secrets of UFOs, and he was going to publish them. Whereupon he was visited by these, he said later, these three men in black, who warned him not to do so. And they mysteriously took his papers. Uh, They were just suddenly missing. Um, After that, he said that he was under a psychological barrage 
um, that they intimidated him by creating poltergeist effects, uh, weird noises on the telephone, uh, feelings of being watched and followed. Uh, and he became so rattled, so unnerved, that not only did he not publish he folded up his newsletter and bureau and just basically got out of the business. But um, there have been many reports since then of individuals who've had some kind of significant UFO experience and one or more of these mystery persons pops up. Rose Bray, we're having some difficulty with your phone there, and it's interesting that we're talking about the men in black as we experience it. Um, well, that is strange. Uh, maybe not, because uh, I find that there are certain topics that lend themselves to electronic trouble. Men in Black is one of them. Uh, how is the connection now? It's it's great now. It, okay. John, in that article that you talked about, John talked about, and this is, Rosemary, I don't know if you experienced this. Back in the old days when we had the landlines, um, sometimes it would almost sound like Somebody had picked up the phone on your line, and you could hear pops, clicks. Sometimes you could hear people breathing, uh, and this was not a party line situation. Um, uh, I personally had several occasions where all of a sudden it was like there was somebody murmuring or talking <laughs> as if they were... Forgetting to cover the mouthpiece as they listened in. Well, you write in that in that wonderful article or that you compiled, rather, that Keel talks about um, wondering about his phone because he lived in a in a apartment complex, and so he, what happened? Well, he frequently had problems uh, with phone connections, and um, he had some. Uh, Difficulties. Uh, this was back in the days of switchboards, and um, I'm trying to remember all the details of that. But uh, it seems that uh, he would have difficulty with a call, or he wouldn't get calls, and um, or they would be routed to somebody else, and the switchboard people never could verify what exactly was going on. Yeah, they they in in the article they checked his phone line apparently because he was concerned about it being tapped, and they said yes, but there's more than one. There's two taps on your phone. <laughs> oh. Well, it uh, it wouldn't surprise me that people like John would have been monitored, and uh, of course, this is a theme that. Uh, continues in ufology today that researchers are monitored and watched and um, there's a sinister aspect to it. I'm not convinced that it's all sinister. Um, when it comes to something like the existence of extraterrestrial life, which poses a threat to the safety and security of the planet, uh, it would be natural for governments to want to know what researchers are up to mm -hmm. uh, because it, uh, they would want to uh, avert uh, sudden panics, for example, if if something were to be published. And uh, so it doesn't surprise me if there's a lot of monitoring going on. And, Rosemary, sometimes it doesn't even take the quote-unquote men in black to do that sort of work. 
and I'm mindful of William Moore and uh, Richard Doty and the, the case of Paul Benowitz. He was the scientist in New Mexico that began believing that he was receiving or eavesdropping on some uh, alien communication. And uh, respected scientist. So William Moore, with the Office of Special Investigations agent Richard Doty, devised a campaign to disinform Paul Benowitz. And I was at the MUFON Symposium when William Moore gave this startling presentation where he basically confessed to his role in doing so. Uh, And I still think to this day, Rosemary, that somebody had something on William Moore and they were threatening him. And so he said, I'm going to take care of this. I'm going to go ahead and admit my, my part in this. And that way it takes the threat away. And from that, uh, that utterance, the once prominent researcher basically faded from the scene. Uh, he certainly did. That was um, a famous uh, confession, as I recall. I was not there, um, but it's reverberated in uh, ufology history since then. And um, my friend Greg Bishop, who did the, the book on that, Project Beta, uh, did such a wonderful job about how um, Benowitz was fooled and literally taken apart psychologically. I mean, yes. the poor man had a nervous breakdown. God bless him. Uh, and it was all orchestrated. Yep. Um, I won't mention the last names, but I had friends Frank and Linda in Omaha, Nebraska. And um, do we have time, Bruce Murray? There's so much to talk about. Can I relate a short anecdote from Frank and Linda about the men in black? Oh, I'd love it. Okay, so they live in in central Omaha. And one night, they happened to be outside and saw what appeared to be a bright light that came down across the valley and came down and probably impacted or landed in an area that they knew was probably the cemetery across this uh, the central valley of Omaha. Uh, they wondered about that. So the next day, they got Linda's father, who was a retired deputy sheriff with law enforcement background, Linda and Frank, and they jumped in the car and they drove across this center part of Omaha to the where they thought this light had come down, a cemetery. And they entered the cemetery, and they drove around and then parked their car on a graveled um, roadway and got out and kind of looked around, and they found an area that looked like the grass had been swirled. Um, Something had either sat down or something had caused the grass to kind of unnaturally swirl around. And they were standing looking at this when suddenly... Frank or Linda realized that they weren't alone. And they turned around, and here were these two guys standing about 15 feet away from them. And behind them, 
they could see an older era black automobile parked on the gravel path behind their car. These guys were dressed in black suits. They had pasty pale complexions. And they talked in kind of a machine-like robotic voice. And they basically said, what are you doing here? And Frank uh, or Linda said, uh, we uh, are here because we thought we saw a light that came down here last night, and we were curious. And uh, one of these guys dressed in a dark suit said, you're not supposed to be here. You better leave. You better leave right now. And they talked later about Linda's father, who was a pretty gruff guy, who wouldn't take lip from anybody. But meekly, Linda's father, retired law enforcement, Linda and Frank, agreed and got in their car and drove away. And they talked about how funny it was that that this graveled path was just a short distance away. Surely they should have heard that car drive up on the gravel. They didn't. Didn't hear any car doors open or slam shut. Didn't even know of these guys approaching until they turned around and these guys were about 15 feet away. And the more and more they thought about it, it just didn't set right. So um, Frank or Linda got a hold of the somebody for the cemetery board and lodged a complaint saying, we were there in broad daylight and some of your representatives showed up and kicked us out. And the uh, spokesperson for the cemetery said, you know, Mr. and Mrs. Hannaford were, or, or Frank and Linda were sorry that, that, that you uh, experienced this. We don't employ anybody through the cemetery that drives a car like that, that dresses like that, nor do we ever instruct our employees or groundskeepers to kick people out. If anything, we want people to spend time here in the cemetery, especially during daylight hours, paying respect to their loved ones, enjoying the peace and tranquility, and we would never have forced you to leave. Isn't that an interesting story? Characteristics of people's encounters with men in black, how they suddenly appear, uh, they tell people to leave or don't talk about this, uh, and the weird appearance, the weird way of speaking, and um, there's, there's no explanation for how they got there or how they leave. Now, one of Keel's opinions about things like men in black mm-hmm. and even flying saucers themselves, as he said, is that these might be distractions to something else that's going on. Uh, something bigger, maybe where the real truth lies, if we ever can find the truth. And he was of the opinion that we probably can't. The closer we get to it, the further away we get to it, in many respects. Uh, but that we get distracted by these these things when there's something else going on that we should be paying attention to. Mm-hmm. Uh, when we come back from the bottom of the hour break, Rosemary, can we talk about uh, Jacques Vallée and maybe... Um, some of the similarities that Jacques Vallée and John Keel 
may both share. Absolutely. And again, Rosemary, what a whale of a book that you've compiled and edited. I just, I, I don't know when it's been that I've enjoyed a book so much as this one. Well, thank you very much, Scott. Uh, I certainly enjoyed putting it together. I've, I've loved all the anthologies, but of course I'm especially fascinated by the UFOs. And um, I'm working on another anthology on that topic now. The next one out will be Bigfoot this spring. Um, I would like to mention the best place to get it, by the way, is Amazon. You can, people will get lots of information on my website, Visionary Living Publishing, um, but uh, if they want to actually get it, then there's a buy link to Amazon, and okay. it's available in ebook too. Okay, this is Rosemary Ellen Guiley, and boy, we are having fun, folks. What a, what a broadcast you're listening to. And again, the, the point that I made earlier, folks, in case you missed that, it's, I think it's very, very valid. We have to understand the history of UFOs, of ETs, of the study of UFOs and ETs, ufology. We've got to understand the history, the early days, to really understand where we're at right now. And maybe, Rosemary, when we come back to you, could chime in on that, too, on your, on your sense of, of understanding where we've been to know where we are and where we're going. Rosemary Ellen Guiley, our special guest. Her website is visionaryliving.com, and her publishing end is visionarylivingpublishing.com. I'm Scott Colborn. I'm like a kid in a candy store. I'm just enjoying this so much. You've had this big grin on your face all through the show. Well, part of the great coffee, too, but uh, any chance to talk with Rosemary like this yeah, is wonderful. Absolutely. So, folks, we've got more conversations. Stay tuned. This will be a little bit longer break so that if you need to get up and use the restroom, you won't miss anything, okay? Here we go on the count of three. One, two, three.
Voice of the Blues in Lincoln, Nebraska, KZUM Lincoln and KZUM HD. Support for This Week in Lincoln comes from the Bourbon Theater, Duffy's Tavern, Crescent Moon Coffee, Metal Art Coffee, and the Zoo Bar. This is live music happening this week in Lincoln. On Saturday, February 23rd, Andy Miller plays Crescent Moon at 8. The Brandon Miller Band starts at 6 at the Zoo Bar, followed at 9 by Steady Wells. And Here Come the Mummies play the Bourbon Theater at 8 with the Undisco Kids. That's live music happening this week in Lincoln. Far from the din of commercial culture and just this side of the abstract is a place I call Mesoterra. I'm Vic Valverde, your tour guide for an eclectic musical excursion on a program called Mesoterra. Saturdays, 12 noon until 1.30, right here on KZUM. Scott Colborn with Exploring Unexplained Phenomena. Jim and I are here enjoying the Jack Reacher coffee and the conversation with Rosemary Ellen Guiley. Jim, we've got a first-time guest coming up next week, Nancy Rines, R-Y-N-E-S. Um, she's authored two books, excuse me, three books, Awakenings from the Light, 12 Lessons from a Near-Death Experience, and Messages from Heaven. So Nancy Rines next week, our special guest. Two weeks from today, I have no idea. But we'll find out. Don't look at me, I don't either. Three weeks is Dan Baldwin and a brand new book, Conversations with Spirits of the Southwest, More Adventures into the Paranormal. And then my friend, Tannis Hellowell, has got a brand new book out called The High Beings of Hawaii. Well, Tannis is always a lot of fun. Our special guest this morning, we are so lucky to have Rosemary Ellen Guiley with us. Um, Rosemary is the author of over 60 books, and she is a fount of knowledge. Uh, over the years, she's had her uh, fingers and thumbs on the pulse of a lot of different subjects, and she speaks with a lot of background, um, has a great command uh, of a variety of subjects. Uh, so I have labored her, labeled her over the years the queen of the paranormal, and I think she's deserved of that, that title. Let's see, uh, Rosemary, before we took the break, where were we? Uh, we were about to delve into valet. Yeah, what do you, what do you think um, when you read Jacques Vallée or his... Points of view, is he close to John Keel? Um, he's always been looked at as being kind of an outsider to the mainstream belief that UFOs and ETs come from other planets and other, other solar systems. Well, I would say that some of those views came from Keel. Uh, now... Um, Valet did publish Passport to Magonia in 1969, uh, when Keel also was getting uh, his uh, feet wet in the field and starting to, to publish articles. Um, 
and uh, you know that discusses uh, the similarity between aliens and things like fairies and uh, you know where are these beings coming from it was a groundbreaking book and out of all the books he's done it's my favorite however uh, in the early days for Keel when he started talking about ultra-terrestrials a term that he adopted from Ivan Sanderson who coined it meaning beings from some other dimension or unknown place. We don't know where they're coming from. And mm -hmm. Keel's position was they may not be beings from outer space, some other world. They might be from right here. They might be something else. And uh, the term interdimensional has become popular today, but ultra-terrestrial was the term that Keel used. And this was uh, one of the things that he was criticized for in ufology uh, was deflecting attention away from the ETH, the extraterrestrial hypothesis. And Valet was one of his strongest critics. Um, and I found it very interesting that over the course of Valet's work, uh, he starts saying the same things that Keel was saying. Uh, and the interview that we have in Fate magazine, George Early, who was a um, frequent uh, con contributor to Fate, uh, wrote this in 1991 after Valet had come out with uh, Dimensions and Confrontations. And especially in Confrontations, Valet was challenging science to take another look, um, that there's more going on here than uh, one might think, and this does deserve scientific investigation, and there's ample evidence that it should be investigated scientifically. Uh, well, let me just bounce a couple of valet quotes to you and don't they sound like they could have come straight out of the mouth of John Keel human beings are under the control of a strange force that bends them in absurd ways forcing them to play a role in a bizarre game of deception that's straight out of Keel Operation Trojan Horse the Eighth Tower uh, the stuff uh, that he was doing during Mothman many of the columns that he wrote for fate he was a columnist for many years Here's something else Valet was saying much later. We are dealing with a yet unrecognized level of consciousness, independent of man, but closely linked to the earth. Exactly what Keel and Sanderson were saying with the term ultra-terrestrials. And um, so he really swings around over the course of time to the things that Keel was putting out in the 70s, um, and, and being jumped on and, and ridiculed and criticized for. Uh, and, of course, Valet has had a lot of influence on um, how ufologists regard the field. And so this, this was a very important, um, you know, development. So I, my view is that Keel influenced Valet, who in turn has influenced uh, uh, a lot of other researchers. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that I really appreciated uh, Valet for, and I love his work, I've got all of his books, um, is that um, he said people aren't stupid. And trying to dismiss all of these reported cases as quacks, deluded people, drunks, uh, whatever, is people are not stupid. They know what they see. Mm -hmm. And uh, that it's a, it's a mistake to just dismiss them uh, and uh, to say that, oh, well, you know, you were having a hallucination or you were really looking at the planet Venus uh, or something like that. 
Um, and what he said, and I quote, um, when a so-called expert tells them the object must have been the moon or a mirage, he is really teaching the public that science is impotent or unwilling to pursue the study of the unknown. How very true that is. And this is how science keeps dodging ufology. They keep writing it off as quackery, when in fact they haven't got the guts to go into it. Mm-hmm. Yep, that was, that was well said. Um, he and Dr. Jalen Hynek wrote a book, uh, collaborated on a book called The Invisible College. Uh, and the purpose or premise of that book was to not only take to task science, but to at the same time, by doing so, say, here is a genuine mystery. If you are truly of a scientific mindset, this should be interesting. This demands your attention. There's something going on here. Because we can't figure it out doesn't mean that it's not going on. Um, I want to say something. I'm not, I'm not trying to be too gruff about Jacques Vallée, but part of what I've read, and I've read all his books, is that there's a little bit of elitism that comes through. And by that I mean, Rosemary, that that if he has been involved in a case, that's different than if there is another case that he hasn't had personal involvement with. There is almost a, a um, not, not so much an aloofness, but almost a disdain that comes through for the work of others. And it's not all the time, but that's just a thread I pick up. I mean, uh, he and Jerry Clark had a series of exchanges. And by the way, I really appreciate, Rosemary, that you put Jerry Clark's uh, information in there because uh, Valet had said some things about Jerry Clark and about his methodology that I thought was very important. And uh, he and Clark kind of went at it from time to time uh, anyway. And Valet, well, he would distance himself from things that he hadn't been involved in. And and even in the interview with George Early in uh, the article in the anthology, uh, he dodges some questions, uh, like he didn't Mm -hmm. want to comment too much on Gulf Breeze um, because he hadn't investigated it himself. He completely uh, didn't want to... uh, comment much on animal mutilations other than to say that, well, he disagreed with parts of Linda Moulton uh, Howe's book, Alien Harvest, but it wasn't a topic. And in all fairness, um, you know, I I can see that. But um, uh, yes, um, Jerry Clark had quite a lengthy response to Valet. Um, Apparently, Valet I was picking up on some comments that Clark made where um, he felt kind of personally disparaged. And um, and so uh, Clark responds at length uh, to that uh, and really comes right out and says that he's ignorant of current ufology. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, we, we must remember that Valet is a scientist, and so um, his scientific biases were probably very strong in the beginning. Uh, I think it is to his credit that he came around as much as he did, but uh, Jerry Clark has some very valid points to make, too. Yes. So the article, which is uh, done in a Q&A format uh, so that 
valet's responses are complete and um, uninterpreted, which is nice, are then followed by uh, Jerry Clark's response. And I think it's, it's uh, one of the uh, strongest pieces in the book. I do, too. Finally, Rosemary, I want to talk again about our, our friend and colleague, Paula Harris. Uh, I thought the, the um, article that, that you included by Paula was and is so important because personally, that's where I feel that I've gone over the years. Um, I, I like to think that these are some of the larger questions that, that begin to loom that if, if we accept that there is a God or a creator and that God created us, human beings, that God also created these other intelligent life forms, these other sentient beings, whether they're in a uh, other planet, uh, another dimension, another waveform, a vibratory rate, um, this is part of, of creation. And uh, my own personal take, Rosemary, my two cents worth is that um, Father Frentes, the Vatican astrologer, said it best, the, the alien is my brother. Could you, could you comment on that? Do you, do you think that the alien is indeed your brother? Well, if you consider the concept that we are all part of the one, uh, that does make us brother and sister with everything in creation, not just um, alien life forms, but even uh, sentient life forms in nature, because we're all part of the indivisible one, the whole of creation. And I have to credit the the, uh, Catholic Church for addressing this question, because we certainly don't hear it coming out of the Protestant denominations. They've, they've rather uh, slid the whole thing um, involving aliens under the rug, uh, except to portray these things in a demonic way. Uh, I did like his, oh no, that was Balducci. It was Monsignor Balducci's comment that uh, Paola uh, had about, you know, are UFOs demonic? And he said, the devil doesn't need UFOs. <laughs> <laughs> which I thought was pretty good. Mm-hmm. But, um, yes, yeah, so, you know, the, the Church has made an effort to address this, that uh, why wouldn't there be alien life forms? And uh, if there are, then they would be technically our, our brothers and sisters. Uh, and uh, the whole idea of original sin uh, gets a little trickier uh, because... Um, well, she quotes not only, um, I hope I'm pronouncing it right, Funes, Gabriel Funes, the, the Jesuit priest who was at the time in 2008 when he made these statements, uh, director of the Vatican Observatory, and then uh, Monsignor Corrado Balducci, uh, who uh, is a UFO researcher who has uh, spoken on behalf of the, of the Vatican many times. So none of these pronouncements come directly from the papal office. But, um, you know, trying to address the question of original sin, which is tricky enough in Catholicism, um, his response is, well, Jesus died for for all beings in the cosmos, and that he is called king of the universes, and so that applies to all creatures. But it doesn't really address the question of whether or not they're an original sin, too. Uh, And so it's... 
at least a start for organized religion to uh, try to come to terms with the popular interest in uh, non-human life forms uh, and factor religion into it. I, I think religion religions of all kinds need to be very concerned about this question because if they don't address it, they're going to be left behind in the dust at some point. Uh, and contactees themselves are saying uh, more and more that they don't feel they need organized religion to address their spirituality because it's gone beyond whatever uh, dogma can provide them, and, and they've stopped going to church. So... Um, uh, if if we have a day where uh, the alien presence becomes uh, universally and unequivocally uh, proved and acknowledged, it's going to be a rough one for organized religion. Rosemary, thank you so much for joining us on this snowy morning, both where you're at and where we're at in Lincoln, Nebraska. And again, I really appreciate, Rosemary, my association with you, your continuing good work. Uh, this brand new book, I've just delighted in reading this week. So thank you, Rosemary, for all that you do. Well, and thank you, Scott, so much for the show, and I hope you get through that blizzard. <laughs> um, a person we didn't talk about today is Long John Nebel. And uh, I'm not sure how long Long John was on the air, but I, I do appreciate the ground that, that he broke also. For shows like mine. Rosemary, my best to you. Enjoy, uh, to Joe, rather, and uh, have a great rest of the weekend. Thank you, and you too, Scott. Rosemary Ellen Guiley. Her websites are visionaryliving.com and visionarylivingpublishing.com. Jim, it's time for you and I to, to get out of here. Yeah. But we're going to do so very carefully. Mm-hmm. Uh, Vic is in the studio now, and Vic, what's the what are the streets like outside? Uh, not too bad, actually. I, I don't know. I think you might end up being stuck here because we got a lot of precipitation coming up from Kansas right now. It's, yeah, well, hit us yet. It's on its way. It looks like it's about to be atrocious right now. So, and yeah, it's, it's, uh, there's a lot of stuff down in Kansas that's just kind of pinwheeling our direction. And this is the storm that they've said uh, parts of southeast Nebraska could get two to three inches of snow an hour. Yeah, uh, forecast for us right now is five to nine inches possible. You know what? If we get 11, we break the record all time for February. And let's not shoot for that. <laughs> <laughs> okay, uh, folks, again, thanks so much for listening to today's broadcast uh, with our special guest, Rosemary Ellen Guiley. The book we've been talking about um, is a wonderful compilation that helps us understand the history of ufology. It's called UFOs and the ET Presence. Stay tuned for Vic and Mesoterra on listener-supported KZUM Radio. Until next week, Jim and Scott will see you guys and gals right here. Meanwhile, walk in beauty. <laughs>